There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God, we just uh, we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, as we, we come right now, I do pray that you would silence all distractions. Lord, that we would come to you with our hearts and minds open. God, to experience you by your spirit, through your word, to, to know you, and ultimately become more and more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So if you guys are there with me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we made our way all the way up to verse 16. Uh, Verse 17 says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And as we've been looking at these commands, we've been going through chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Shema, uh, and then again here through these uh, different chapters, is that as God has been commanding these people to follow his statutes, that as we sing today, that, that this is coming from a place of, of gratitude, not guilt. That God, that God, again, he's telling them, I brought you out of Egypt. That he provided the way of freedom and life and then gave the law. That he first did the work and then says, now here's how you can experience me in your life every day. And all of this, all of these things is to know God, to experience him. And again, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation. He did not come to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. So we do this out of gratitude. As Jesus would say in John chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, this is not to be something that he, he, he lords sin over you as something to be guilted by, so do this or else. But in fact, no, he comes to you saying, I've removed that from you. I've removed death and sin. And now we respond out of love to obey. And, and we get here in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh Yikad. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And last week we looked at, and even the last couple weeks, that if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always in that place. Some may even struggle and say, you know what, I'm still trying to want to want that. But we have this amazing confidence, even by the word, that God doesn't come at you and say, well, how dare you? Haven't I done these great things for you? Is that he says, hey, I I give you this confidence that if, if you're lacking in this, if there's a part of his will that, that we're not fulfilling, he's saying, if you pray to me according to my will, I will answer that. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know uh, we have what we asked of him. So again, if you find yourself going, okay, you know what, the truth is, I don't, I don't love the Lord 
with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. That is his will for your life. And we have this confidence that he doesn't come at you with condemnation saying, if you don't have that, you can even come to him to get that desire. That he says, come to me and ask me for that and I will give that to you. Pray according to his will to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. And last week we looked at when this should be a part of our life. When we wake up, when we walk and talk with everyone around us, when we get ready to have a meal together, when, we, when we're going to bed, is that at all these things and everything you look at, with everything you do, we are called to know God, know his love for you, and live well in his abundant love for you. Also, that he might make known to you that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Matthew, or sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 18, we're looking there. It says, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time come, to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord short, showed his signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And, and so even as we're doing it, God is saying, look, the, one of the, the points of this whole thing, the, the reason I'm calling you to live this life, is that inevitably what should happen is the kids around you, your sons, your daughters, they should look at how you lived your life and go, why are you living this way? Why, why do you say that we need to adhere to what Yahweh says? And even then, he says, this is to be the answer. Not as something, some script to memorize, but again, God wanted to impress. Why have I called you? When they ask you, you might find yourself going, I don't know. I don't know. Mom says to do it, so I do it. God says, no, no it, it's not just because. No, you're the answer because you were in bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh and that nation had you enslaved, and God, by his mighty hand, took you out of that and has brought you into this land. And so we're living this life in gratitude and he wants you to know that so as you live this life that he's called you to live and the people around you go, why? Why do you go on Sunday mornings and listen to that horizontally gifted man with the gray in his face? Sometimes it seems like he talks for like an hour plus. Why are you guys doing that? Sacrifice for the Lord. But we do it. Why do we do this life that we're called to? Why, why do you live the life that you're called to? Why do you follow God's word? Why? Not because I'm trying to earn his salvation. Not because I'm afraid if I don't, I'll go. No, because I was in bondage. I was a slave to my flesh and its desires, but by his mighty outstretched arms, he provided me freedom. And so this whole life is to be done out of gratitude. And then he says, in this life, it's so that it will be well with you. He has come that you should have life and have it to the full. That not to, to have these fleeting things that we try and selfishly fill our own desires with, knowing that when we chase after those things, that it's fleeting. Again, it tastes like honey and then drops like a rock. He says, no, I want to give you that sustaining 
joy and peace that can look at every circumstance and say, I know that my God is always there with me, and so I always have the rock upon which I can stand. I always have my refuge and my hope. And that is this promise that he's given. Again, not for you to work for, but something he freely offers for us to live this life in gratitude, that it would be well with you. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Then it will be righteousness for us. And again, we can get confused here and go, okay, so righteousness is it's kind of like I have to work to earn, and yet Paul's going to make this clear for us in, in Romans, in, in uh, Galatians, and in Hebrews, as, as he, he is taking the writings of Habakkuk, the, the prophet, and going, no, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. But then in the book of Hebrews, Paul's going to go even further and say, yes, but that faith was evidence in their obedience that Abraham so trusted God and his promise. As we're told in Genesis 15, that it was credited to him for righteousness. He so trusted that, that he in his mind, that if God had called him to sacrifice his son on that mountain, Moses says, I so believe in what God says that I believe that even if I sacrifice my son, that God has promised that from him will come this lineage and God can raise him up. That was the faith. And, and Paul saying, this, this faith that was credited to Moses as, as, or Abraham as righteousness, that it was, it was seen and evident by his obedience, that he was grateful for the promise and then lived a life out of that gratitude. Now, chapter 7, we'll come back to in a couple weeks, but chapter 7 really focuses in on the fact that we are a chosen people and the blessings of obedience. But if you're there with me, turn to actually Deuteronomy 8 right now. So we're, we're going to kind of jump a whole chapter. Okay, we'll come back to that. But, but for today, I want us to look at going from 6 to chapter 8. Every commandment, starting in verse 1, which I command you today, must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now in Hebrew, the, the word test is NSH. Uh, that's the letters, but it says uh, nasha. In, in the Greek, it's perzaro. And this word is, is in, in the Greek, it's used either as a, as a test or like a temptation. It's, it's a trial. And the, depending on the context, you'll understand what that word really is meaning. But we're told here that as God was leading them through the wilderness, that what it, he says he was doing, he's like, I, I was testing your heart. Because then as we've seen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God was saying, do you treasure a full belly? Do you treasure having your, your every fleshly need satisfied? Or do you need real satisfaction, that thing that, that satisfies your core? And so he took them through the wilderness says, I didn't leave you out there. I don't know if you guys... I know for the longest time I kind of thought this is that in those 40 years of wandering, it was kind of like a, which way did they go? That they were like trying to look and God's going, I don't know, you didn't have to fire by night, cloud by day. That God says, I, I led you. And I led you on a purpose journey. And that journey was, was a testing. It was a refining process because we wanted to see what was in the heart. Again, we've talked about that. Is that, you know, when, when the pressure comes, 
when the pressure comes, is it, is it a rose where the fragrance is released? Or is it that ushy-gushy thing that you stepped on in your backyard and the moment you stepped on it, the fragrance hit your nostrils and you went, Ugh, I just stepped in the dog stuff. Is that the pressure just revealed the quality of the substance? And what God is saying is that I took you through the 40 years through that desert because it was a pressure to test that heart, to see what comes out when it's there. And he says, and if it, and if it glorifies God, hold on to that, refine that. And if it's the stuff that stinks, let's get rid of that. And so it was intentional and purposeful that God put these people to a test whether to know if they would keep out. Do you have God's word so down in your heart that when the pressures of life come, that's what comes out of your mouth. You know, I, I've talked to you guys a couple times about Oakdale Nursing and Rehab and, and the blessing that it is to be able to go when we get to. And please have them in your prayers. But one of the things that God has really just ministered to me as we've had an opportunity to go and sing to these people who honestly sometimes they can't remember what happened five hours before that. Sometimes they, you're like, I, I don't even know if they're awake in the room. Do they remember their name? And yet we would stand before them and, and with, with these, these books and pages of songs and we would say, does anyone have a request? And it just comes out, page 15. Blessed assurance, for real? And as we start to sing, this person that you go, were they awake? Do they know their name? What pours out of them is the words of a song where I'm having to read from a page and it's so deep in there that it just comes out. When it seems as if everything else in their life has been forgotten, that they've held on to, that they've put deep inside. And what God is saying here is this 40 years, it wasn't to be mean. It wasn't to be cruel. It was a refining process to see when you're squeezed, when the pressure's on, what comes out of your heart. Because again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It was a revealing process. And every time we saw those things come out that wasn't in conjunction with God's word. He says, let's get rid of that thing. Let me do that work, the washing by his word. That's why verse three there in Deuteronomy 8 says, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. As I hear it was just to go, look, if you're going to chase after monetary and, and money, if you're going to chase after appealing to your, to your personal desires, you're always going to come up wanting. But if you trust in the Lord, trust me every day, every step, that's, that's the abundant life. It's not a thing that he's calling you to out of guilt and condemnation. No, he's saying, in that same gratitude, trust me, I gave my life for you to have life eternal. Do you think that I just want to make your life a mess? I've come that you may have life to the full, and there's things in your life that I see that, yeah, I'm going to put the pressure on, because when it comes out, if it's not of something that's incon- if it's not consistent with my word, my character, let's get rid of that thing and let him do that work. And once you get rid of that stuff, you'll find that life abundant. And you'll see that it's consistent with his word. Earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. Again, every word from the mouth of the Lord. Don't add to it. Don't take it away. 
that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Again, in Deuteronomy, we've been seeing this repeated theme throughout every book, every page. Shema, hear. But not just, again, the vibrations against your eardrum, but take it in, listen, and respond. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also, because to be just hearers of the word is to deceive yourself. To think if you come, and I've heard the guy talk about it, I've done the studies, but you're not applying it. You're not taking it in so that it comes out of you. He said, you're deceiving yourself. You're going through a ritualistic process that doesn't do any good for you. You've got you to gotta shema. You've got to take it in. Hear, respond in obedience. Again, the word of God is, is not a buffet. We don't get to, and so many want to. Well, I like this piece. This makes me feel good. Oh, this, this is a real encouraging word that, that you know, gets me motivated. I've got that one across my mirror every morning. I can do all things. I like it. In this life, you have tribulations. Finish that one, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Again, it's not a buffet. It's something that you have to take. In fact, guys, there's something very, very dangerous to yourselves personally and honestly to the world around you to try and treat God's word like a buffet, where we pick and choose the pieces that we like. And, and, and a great example of this is in the Bible Museum, they have what is referred to as the Slave's Bible. It's a Bible that was selectively edited and given to the slaves to try and convince them that their masters were in the right and they were just property. What's interesting is when you go through that selectively edited, is that pretty much they took out books like Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, all the books that your internet Atheist critics are going to try and say, look at how horrible God is. And yet when you go to the Bible Museum, you look at what they pulled out of it and go, well, isn't that illuminating? Why would they remove those sections and say, here's what it is? But now the guy who curates the Bible Museum was asked a question. Okay, since this thing is clearly disgusting and awful, why did you put this in the Bible Museum? I loved his response. He says, I want this to stand as an example of this is what happens when you try and take away from the word of God. This is the damage that it can lead to. I want everyone to know by this example that brokenness, death, bondage, slavery, it is a result of selective editing for God's word, and we should never repeat that. Let that stand as an example. You know, a really really smart psychologist uh, he's a smart guy. I I think he's a a seeking guy. Um, You know, he's by any metric of, of his own words, I wouldn't say that I would call him a believer in Christ. I say he's a searching man, but really smart guy. Really smart guy, a psychologist. And he recently went to the Bible Museum and, and it kind of stirred in him something. And it's so interesting because so, so often you'll listen to this guy and he'll speak truths, but it's, it's, again, it's a hearer without a doer. He's not letting it take in and take root. And yet the things he says, I wish more Christians themselves came to a place of at least mentally understanding. He made this statement. He says, it's, it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of true. He continues to say, I think this is not only literally the case, factually. I think it can't be any other way. It is the only way we can solve the problem of preconception. So this really intelligent psychologist who's, who's looked at morality and looked at humans and, and tried to, how should we live our life? As he went to the Bible Museum and something hit him as he started to realize 
truly what God's word is. And just from a mental place, he went, he's come to this realization. No, the Bible is not just a truth to apply to your life. He's saying when you really understand what this thing is, it is the foundational lens by which everything else should be looked through. It's not to take modern science and its, its theology and its doctrines, which, by the way, again, I'm so tired of it acting like people don't have preconceived ideologies because they call themselves a scientist. They have an agenda. They have these things, and you, you see it all the time. Geology, history, he has come to this understanding that all of us should is go all of that thing to actually see truth manifested, it starts with having that foundational lens that is the word of God by which all truth can be known. That is the primary lens. It should be the thing by which we evaluate everything in our life. Our relationships, our finances, our entertainment, all of it. Heaven forbid we take Hollywood's worldview lens and place it on Scripture as though that should be how I look at the Bible, through that lens. No, in fact, you should flip that around. When I look at the world around me, am I looking it through this factually fundamental, more than true, but the means by which all truth is manifested? Verse 4, Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Again, in in Hebrews, Paul will say that God chastens you like a dad chastens his son. That God disciplines the way a good dad would discipline. And then he goes on to make a very obvious statement, which every kid in here will go, and nobody likes discipline in the moment. Yeah, nobody likes that. But it has a work to do in you. And it has this goodwill intent that, that he says that God chastens you as a good father would discipline. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end then you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gained me this wealth. This is the same morning we looked at last week when God says, I have this amazing blessing for you. I gave you this promise, a full and abundant promise. He's saying, but don't make this mistake that when you come into 
material blessings, food and money and houses, don't for a second convince yourself that you got it by your strength. Well, don't you know how smart I am to make those deals to get it? Who gave you that brain? Why well, I'm, you know, all my athletic skill has earned me this right. Who is keeping your heart beating and your lungs moving? Who has given you the very breath in your body? Again, we looked at this idea of, of cat and dog theology, right? I know kind of corny, but right? It's that idea that the cat says, you love me. You take care of me. You house me and feed me. I must be God. Me, wow. The dog, the dog says, well, you, you feed me and you, you clothe me and you give me a house. You must be God. I bow, wow. As corny as that can be, it is a very simple way to see this application of God saying, don't for a second get into this promised land and think yourself a cat. For all you cat lovers out there, I'm sorry. I get it. The nation of Israel loves these things. They're all over the place. They literally still to this day will see a dog on the side of the street and get to the other side. Completely baffles me. Can't stand these things. I get it. They take care of rodents. We did just recently have a rat that got into my wife's van that made me go, it would have been really nice if those like three cats that roamed the neighborhood would have done something, but that's a whole other story for a whole other time. But there's this reality of something that Pastor Joe Fosha said so well is that idolatry is born out of prosperity. That we do this weird thing that once we begin to have blessings and, and, and God is pouring out this abundant life to us that we get our self confused like a cat and go, huh, I'm so great, I must be God. I manifested this. And God's going, Are you, I brought you out of bondage by my right hand. I poured out blessing and you're going to take the praise? to forget and grow dull, as Paul would warn in Romans, that you, you begin to worship the things created instead of the God creator who loves you and gave his life for you. As Jesus would give a parable in Mark chapter 8, verse 18 and 19, he says, in this type of situation, now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but they don't shema. And the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers at, as it is this day. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 35 and 39, it says, to you it was shown that God says, I, I bring you into this land. I've given you this promise also that you could know, to know him and know his love for you. That's why he says again in Deuteronomy 5, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is no other beside him. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. To know just as he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he is the Elohim of Elohim. God is God and you are not. And with that simple truth, if we just stop for a moment in that simple truth, if he is God 
if God is God and I am not, how should that affect the rest of my life? Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish. Again, Paul in Galatians chapter 4 says, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? God has brought you freedom by the cross and you're going to run after the gods of this world who like those in Egypt are just seeking to put you back into bondage. Deuteronomy 7 verse 8 in contrast, because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. Guys, sexual perversion, substance abuse, self-righteousness, power, money, all of these are tools of those beggarly elements of this world that are seeking to enslave humanity. In fact, later on in that same chapter, Paul makes it clear that these demonic elements, they want your worship. It says that, that they are zealous for you and they want your zeal. They want you to praise them in the place and honor that only belongs to God who says he will not share his glory with another. But God has made this declaration to those beggarly elements. In Psalm 82, verse 5 and 6, it says, the gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods, all of you sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. So there's this warning that God's saying, when you go into that land and you begin to self-worship yourself as God, you will then, once you remove that, you will take that worship, and you will then turn and start worshiping those other gods of that land. And he's saying, the reason I'm giving you this warning, again, not because God is somehow this, this God who needs his ego boasted. Guys, he doesn't need our worship. Our worship is the best thing that we can do with our life to him. And he knows that. That is the full life. A life that is lived in worship to him. And he says, when you, when you become one with the gods of this world, you have joined yourself with their fate and he has declared their punishment and saying don't do that because when you go in there and you make yourself one with them you have shared in their destiny and he has pronounced judgment on these rebellious spirits as he says here in deuteronomy eight twenty, as the nations which the lord destroys before you so shall you perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the lord your god these beggarly elements, the gods of this world who want you to worship them instead of the Elohim of Elohim, Yahweh Yakad, who loves you and gave his life for you. Instead, they offer you these trinkets of pleasure. As it's told to us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The gods of this world using the same tricks and tools that the one they follow has employed since the garden. Lucifer, the Nakash in the garden, 
Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. Guys, it's the same tricks that lead to the same brokenness and despair and separation that he has freely given himself to defeat. And so you might find yourself in this moment and you might look at this and go, okay, so what's, what's the answer to this? Sometimes, I, you know, I, I have this desire. Again, we, I, I want to do good, but I, 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 at the same time, I don't. Well, I would say you're in good company with the Apostle Paul who said, the good things I ought to do, those things I don't do. The things I know I don't do, those I keep on doing. What a wretched man am I? And he gets to the bottom of this cry and broken hardness and he goes, thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God that it's not on my ability to perform, but I will live this life out of gratitude for the one who has made all eternity possible. This life abundant found out of gratitude of love, not condemnation of guilt. And if you find yourself this morning, go, okay, so when these temptations come, when the enemy brings the tricks of this world, when these beggarly elements seek to entice, what's the answer for that? Well, guys, we've looked at that. And let's just take it back from where we've read today. Deuteronomy 8.3, that man should not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That he says, I took you to a place so that you would see that the world will leave you hungry and thirsty and I come to provide you, as Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35. As he declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. If you seek after the filling of the gullet, it will always, this world and its tricks will always leave you wanting. But I've come to provide you this living water which will never cease that he provides himself the bread from heaven that you would never be hungry. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Again, Massa, you looked at Exodus 17. When they reached that place of thirstiness, this is, this is a great lesson for us all to look at. They got into a place of being thirsty and they shook their hand at God. And said, you must be a cruel, despicable God because you, what, you just brought us out here to die? And when he brought you to the place of realizing that there is nothing to be found out in this world but from the rock that was split will come living water. Now again, the Hebrew being Neshah, the Greek, Pizarro. This Greek that is seen even in the Septuagint, so when we see back through, that when you see this word for temptation, testing, it's the same thing that you'll read in the New Testament when you're looking at the Greek. And its meaning is determined by its context. And if that seems like I'm trying to play word games, let me just give you guys a couple quick examples that you yourself would understand what I mean by that. What I mean that is look at the word M-I-N-U-T-E. What did I just spell? Did I spell minute, like small, or minute, like a single minute? You would read the word and go, well, I'll know which one you're saying, but give it to me in a sentence, right? If you were in the spelling bee, can you use it in a sentence, please? All right, so the context is understood by, or the word is understood by its context. Here's another fun one. Desert. Well, 
am I saying dessert? Well, no, there'd be two S's in there. Except, wait, I could say with the same spelling desert and dessert because dessert spelled like desert could mean abandon, like to desert somebody. Let me throw another S in there. It gets yummy. That's how you always remember how to spell that, by the way. At least my little brain does that. Two S's makes it good. More dessert. Tricks for the simpletons. That's what I have to do. How about this one? Fair. What are we talking about? Do you mean fair like agreeable? Oh, that's fair. Do you mean fair like that guy up there is very fair? Or do you mean, wait a second, that thing with the giant spinny wheel that people ride on, it's a fair. So again, we here would understand that a word takes its meaning by the context. The same thing is with Pizarro, that it will be tested or tempted based on its context. Hebrews tell us that Jesus was Pizarro yet without sin. That he was Pizarro yet without sin. In fact, James, in the only time in all of Scripture, uses a Greek word in the book of James that God does not tempt, neither can he be tested. That phrase is the only time you will see the word aperitas, which is without temptation. The only time you're going to see it in relation to God. That literally, James is saying, God is without temptation. Because when in context, again, as we were talking about with the words, that when you're using the word tempted in context, it takes on the meaning of like a baited hook. That within context, well, what do you mean by tested or tempted? Well, when it's tempted, it's a baited hook. What it's saying is God will never pull a bait and switch on you. God does not put you in a situation where he's baited a, a hook and then got you. I got to say, few things on the internet still bring me joy most of the time, only time. but there is one, there's a, a montage of these TikToks of people pretending to be fishes that cracks me up. They're sitting there eating off a hook and then it shows one friend get pulled away and the other person goes, oh, that's crazy. It goes right back to eating the hook. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> God won't do that to you. He doesn't bait the hook. Now, he will test. He will bring a pressure to see, I want to know what's in the heart. I want you to know what's in the heart. And lastly, you shall fear the Lord, your God, and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. To know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Know God. Know his love for you. That he is a jealous God. A God that says, I am not going to share you with another like a good husband would say about his wife. I'm, no, you are precious to me. You are special to me. And I'm not just going to share you with other people, especially those whose destiny is destruction. And guys, as we end this morning, if all of that sounded familiar, that man does not live by bread alone, but every word comes from the mouth of the Lord. If we hear and say, okay, so we shouldn't tempt God, and that we should trust and serve him only. Know that the answer to all three of those that you just heard from the book of Deuteronomy, all three of those is what Jesus quoted to Satan when he was being tempted in the wilderness. So as we've been studying through, every one of those answers was how Jesus answered the Nakash right to his face. As he talked about 
the lust of the flesh. Man does not live by bread alone. The pride of life. Don't test God. Don't tempt him. He's without temptation. The pride of life. There's only one God. Yahweh Ikad. He's the God who has given his life for you. He is Yahweh who saves Yeshua. And if we really look at that and understand that God is God and I am not, and it's the God who did not come to bring condemnation, but that the world through him might be saved, how should that affect our entire life? That we should love him with all our heart, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time and your word this morning. Father, I just pray that as we come right now, that Lord, you would just have your way in us. The Lord, if there is any way in us that, that cannot say that we are sold out, fully committed, passionately devoted, would you, Lord, answer that prayer? Fill us with your spirit. Make us more like you so that we could love you and in doing so, best love those around us. Thank you that we can live this life in gratitude and not guilt and freedom and not condemnation, that you are the one who freely, by your mighty hand, freed us from bondage. Let us not return back to those beggarly elements that seek to enslave us. But to know your word, because your word is truth, and the truth will set us free. You are the way, the truth, and the life. May we walk in that abundantly in your love. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.